Hi, and welcome to Save Your Sorry, where we tell you about the rise and fall of your favorite or sometimes least favorite celebrities. I'm your host, Jose Angel. Joining me is my co-host and best friend, Katrina Rochelle. Hello, hello. And today, Katrina is going to be the one telling us about a canceled celebrity. So who will we be talking about today? Oh my gosh, I thought it was your week. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm going to do something a little bit different this episode. Um, As you know, last week, uh, Jose did a little slightly different one, and I said, hold the hell up. Jose ain't the only one who could flip the script around here. You know, 50% partnership here. (laughs) So um, today, instead of like focusing on a singular celebrity We're going to talk about two particular scandals that happened as a result of appearing on a talk show. Oh, I love talk shows. I wish I had my own. I definitely remember you saying something like that before. I think you would be successful at it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I just I just want to sit there with a cup of coffee talking to people. And just asking them all their business. Yeah, Jose's nosy. I love it. Me too. I be. I, I, I just want to have a reserved front seat for every show. Yeah. <laughs> what <is> so, show? <laughs> J-ish. Just saying. <laughs> I have too many scandals that we're going to talk about today. And depending on your age or your pop culture slash talk show knowledge, you may either be familiar with one or both of these, or you're on the other side of the uh, fence where you just you're finding out this information for the first time. I feel that TV talk shows nowadays are messy and exploitive of their guests and audience in particular to just get ratings and to stay relevant. But it is important that this is 2021 Katrina saying this because (laughs) I I definitely have a history of, you know, loving shows like that before, Um, especially, you know, back in the day, you're homesick. First thing I'm going to turn on, if it wasn't a talk show, was a judge show which is basically the same thing because you're getting paid to appear and spill your business. Yeah. I think people like tuning in for the drama and some of the trashiness of it. Mm-hmm. Like I used to joke about all the shows, you know, quote some of the lines, you know, you are not the father mm-hmm. is one of the famous ones. Uh, And as I kind of grew older and matured and watched some of these programs, what I used to kind of look at as like an escape from reality and just laughing at something that didn't have nothing to do with me, it kind of turned into me looking at these shows in in a different type of light and seeing how they're created and curated and who they're trying to show this to and who they are presenting and how they're presenting them and who's losing ultimately and who's winning. And when you do the breakdown of that, obviously it's the guests who lose their privacy, sometimes their dignity. And who's winning, of course, is the host and all the other people on the other side uh, behind the camera who are boosting them up to either make up lies or to sensationalize their business more. Yeah, it, I don't think you're going to talk about him, but like just like Dr. Phil, like he's supposed to be helping and he gets his own episode. <laughs> he's really not helping that much. He's kind of using them for his own gain. I, I definitely like if you look at a, a Dr. Phil episode from now and a early Dr. Phil episode, you would definitely see the difference in how he talks to them and the help he tries to get from them and how he tries to, I guess, 
what would you say? Therapize, therapeutize them or whatever. <laughs> is that I felt like he was more genuine and actually more into it uh, as it first started. And as now you see his interview style is more like one-liners and playing to the audience and jokety jokes. And it's, it's less about the subject matter unless the subject matter is shocking. Yeah, you definitely have to get those one-liners in there. Oh my gosh, he he loves to uh, say something funny, a, a funny quick. That's what people tune in for, though. Nowadays, yeah. I mean, who wants to see a um a heartfelt Doctor Phil? Nobody. Who wants to see Doctor Phil? Nobody. <laughs> I've answered those I'm questions. Sure people still do. <laughs> no. Oh, I can't see it. But you know, just think about Keith Sweat. Nobody. <laughs> I don't know so, if I know um, that one. Oh, dang. You don't know Keith Sweat nobody, bro? Not off the top of my head. <laughs> I'll educate you later, sir. Okay. Okay, so the first story that we are going to talk about is about Ralph Panitz, Nancy Campbell Panitz, and Eleanor, otherwise known as Ellie Panitz. Alrighty. I'm not sure on me saying this last name. With me and last names, it's a hit or miss. But, you know, it starts with a P and it ends with Z. So uh, in May of the year of 2000, you have Ralph and his new wife, Eleanor. They go on to the Jerry Springer show. And this episode is titled Secret Mistresses Confronted. Their story is that they were this newly married couple and that uh, Ralph's ex-wife, Nancy, was constantly harassing them, following them and stalking them. All three of them are there, of course, but right now it's the beginning of the story. Jerry only has Eleanor and Ralph up there. And the point of them coming to the Jerry Springer show was apparently them getting Nancy on stage, confronting her, telling them, uh, telling her that they were happy. They wanted to be left alone and that she was crazy and that Ralph didn't want her. Yeah. This is what Eleanor and Ralph are telling Jerry and the audience. Meanwhile, Nancy, who is backstage, she is under the impression of this not going that way. To Nancy, she's in Chicago because she's thinking the opposite is going to happen. She's thinking that Ralph has told her that he wants to be with her and she herself wants to reconcile with her. Oh, I mean, with him. Uh, They were married for about 15 months and then got divorced, but they've still been seeing each other on and off. Okay. And is Ralph telling Nancy this to get her on the show or is the Jerry Springer show telling Nancy this? hundred percent. I was just about to get there. So, but yes, Ralph is telling her this. Okay. So uh, he's figuring that this is the only way to get her on the show for the confrontation is, you know, saying that he wants to reconcile with her and that he loves her and he's taking her on the show to, to declare it publicly and say that he's, he's dumping Eleanor. Oh, okay. And what even adds more power to Nancy's uh, feeling and her thinking that this is true is that when you get flown out to the, these shows and shit, at least, back in the day they they would put you up in accommodations whether they were trash or not so they put all three of them in the same motel 
But apparently the night before they go on for the taping, Ralph sleeps with Nancy. Oh. So he sleeps with her uh, last night and they're the following day. They're at the taping. So she's thinking even more so that this is what it is. She's about to leave with her man. So he sneaks out of the room with Eleanor and creeps over to Nancy. Essentially, yes, that's exactly what happens. Okay. Once she's brought out, the truth starts to basically become clear that she's been tricked. She comes out, audience is booing her, you know, taunting her, all that shit. Ralph and Eleanor trade off insults, especially with Eleanor calling her old and fat. And then uh, getting so into it, she makes the audience chant uh, chant that at Nancy that she's old and fat. Definitely could have stung Nancy because she she was older than Ralph. Ralph uh, uh, Ralph is also foreign. He's he's uh from Germany. Just so you know, I forgot okay. to say it. It's like one of those Ralphs that's not spelled like regular Ralph. It's got an F in that bitch. Oh, I like that spelling <laughs> better. <laughs> it is kind of unique, <laughs> but yeah, she's older than uh Ralph and. Eleanor's younger than her and getting into this chant of her being old and fat and Ralph doesn't want her. Then Ralph reveals, of course, that he and Eleanor are married, which even though I told you that, she did not know that Eleanor and Ralph got married. She was probably under the assumption that, of course, they were seeing each other. They are together, but she didn't know that they were married. Okay. I I could see that, that big... I, I'm just seeing it all play out in my head because I know how the Jerry Springer show is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he tells uh, he tells Nancy that they're married. He wants Nancy out of their lives. Uh, and then basically Nancy's ha- had enough of them in the audience saying that she's fat and old and that Ralph doesn't want her and to leave him alone and she's being a stalker and all this other shit. So she basically says... Okay, that's fine. And she gets up and she walks off the stage to which later Ralph explains his reasoning for coming on the show to Jerry saying that he's quoted as saying, I thought she might be humiliated enough to recognize this over, which is like he mentioned him sleeping with her. So that's what I was just about to say. So here's the the crazy thing, because they do leave the show. And this is like I said, it was taped in May. So during that whole exchange between Eleanor and Nancy, Nancy, of course, what what would you do? You would say, well, yeah, we slept together last night. So what do you mean? And Eleanor doesn't really acknowledge that. In fact, after the show is done airing or not airing, but after the taping, she basically is saying she blames it on, I guess, Jerry Springer and or Nancy. She sees it as Ralph didn't really want to sleep with Nancy, but Jerry Springer production had forced them into the same room and sectioned off Eleanor. And so he was in a situation. He was put in a situation where he had to, which is stupid because number one, y'all were at the same motel. I don't think there were guards outside the rooms where he had to stay with Nancy unless he wanted to stay with Nancy. And two, it was just like, it seems like it's just a love is blind woman talking about. Yeah, blaming everyone besides the man. Yeah, exactly. Like, basically, he's an angel and he would never do anything to hurt me unless he was put in a situation like that. Yeah, so, I'm yeah. sure when she's first hearing it, she's probably thinking like, that's a liar. Yes, until it's officially confirmed for her. And then once it's confirmed, she can't hide behind. Oh, he didn't do that. And now it's like he would never do that unless he was forced. Yeah, yeah. stupid. So she walks off the stage. Um, they go back home. 
The interesting thing in between this is, so this is taped in May. In June, Eleanor and Ralph, I guess, are they're fighting a lot. So they kind of separate. You know, they don't get a divorce file or anything, but Eleanor decides to temporarily leave Ralph and stay with some friends or whatever. So they're not together. Meanwhile, with him and Eleanor on the outs, what does Ralph do? Goes back to Nancy. Goes back to Nancy. In fact, even... Well, it's not worse yet, but (laughs) when we get there, we get there. But uh, even to the point where he reconciles with her and then they put down money for a new house in Sarasota, Florida. That's June. July, early July, I think Eleanor said either the 6th or the 9th, her and Ralph reconcile officially. They've been talking. So she moves back in with Ralph, but it's back in with the house that he has just paid for with his ex-wife slash girlfriend, Nancy. Oh, no. So when that happens in July and Eleanor and Ralph are back together and Nancy sees this, she she temporarily moves out. But apparently at some point in time, she moves in and they're trying to gain control of the house because obviously that's a volatile situation. In so fact, they're all three living there? Yes. Oh, wow. To the point where they even said uh, both when before Eleanor came back and after there were multiple like domestic disputes filed yeah, between, between Ralph to Nancy and Nancy to Ralph. I imagine it's just like the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> and you see why they qualified. Yeah. On July 24th is an unfortunate day. The show is officially released. It's being broadcast. The Secret Mistress is confronting a Jerry Springer show. The Panets Dirty Laundry, of course, is being shown just earlier that same day before the, the episode airs. Nancy had gone to court and got a restraining order filed against Nan, uh, against Ralph and Eleanor and therefore gets possession of the house. OK, she's just gotten possession uh, of the house and restraining order against Ralph and Eleanor, Eleanor, Ralph and Ralph's nephew Marcus they're at a bar drinking Ralph is reportedly very upset about having to leave the house and take a shit and he's been drinking and he's I guess pretty much drunk it's not clear because there's conflicting reports about either Marcus's testimony is saying that uh, Ralph said take me to the house whereas Eleanor is saying that they decided to go to the house just to gather their things. It wasn't like an order type of situation. But if they have a restraining order, are they even allowed to do that? Exactly. And then you've been drinking. So why would you do that? You've the restraining order isn't a 20, it's not even 24 hours old. You're not having an escort take you there. And one of the parties who has the restraining order on him is drunk. It doesn't sound like a good recipe. Recipe for disaster. You ain't never lied. (laughs) Ralph, Eleanor, and Marcus go from the bar to the house. They said that they let Ralph try to lay down because he was drunk while they packed up their things. But they're not even there that long before out the window. They spot Nancy and some sheriffs or, or some cops or whatever in front of the house. So them dumbasses knowing that they have a restraining order out 
are like, yeah, we got to get the fuck out of here. And Ralph's drunk. So Ralph apparently leaves up out the window, jumps out. Eleanor and Marcus pack some items and then they they go to their cars. Now, before they go to their cars and go their quote unquote separate ways, they, they need to find Ralph, obviously. Eleanor says to Ralph's nephew, Marcus, hey, let's uh, circle around. Let's look for him. Let's meet at the 7-Eleven. So as they're doing this, apparently, let's say Eleanor spots Ralph heading back to the house. She decides to run up the street to the 7-Eleven and say to Marcus, hey, I just saw Ralph heading back to the house. I think he's about to kill Nancy. Why would she think that? That's what I'm saying. I mean, unless he's been saying, I'm the, I don't know, just saying he's a killer, he's a killer or something, even if he's mad. I still wouldn't think that if, you know, you just saw him walking, unless she like confronted him. Or yes. if he had a gun or a knife or something. So yeah, that's that's what that's what Mark says in his testimony. He says that Eleanor runs up to him and says, "Hurry up! Ralph is going into the house and he's trying to kill Nancy. Nancy is crying for help." That's exactly what Marcus says. That Eleanor says it's insinuating that she must have heard or seen something that indicated that she knew he was going to kill her. Yeah. So. Eleanor says that she pulls up to the house and she just sees Ralph looking, quote unquote, dazed. And she tells him to get into the car and then they leave. Marcus pulls up to the house and goes to check on it. He sees that the door is barricaded. So instead of trying to force his way in, what he does is I guess he goes to a neighbor's house or something and he calls the police. Once he calls the police, police arrive on the scene They uh, enter the home. They confirm that Nancy is in the home, beaten and strangled to death. Oh, see. So he didn't even have a weapon. No, they said, in fact, that her face was hardly recognizable due to the graphic basic stomping that happened to her face. Oh, wow. So damn. And how do you know how long this was from the time they left? It's it's not even said. That's why the funny thing is, even though this was kind of about like talk shows, putting this into the whole situation, I just really be thinking about the fact of forget all that. Eleanor was up to some BS. And I'm going to tell you why after I say these next few facts. So even though that was a horrifying news that, of course, she was beaten and strangled to death and her face was basically stomped beyond recognition, it leaves the fact that there were boot prints, bloody boot prints all over there. Uh-huh. And then when they also get her catalog, all the other injuries and stuff to her body, they find DNA under her fingernails. Is it Eleanor's? <laughs> That's not funny. I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why you laugh. I don't know why. I'm just in a weird mood. But no, what's what's messed up is later, of course, they find out that this is this is Ralph's. But what I wanted to say is bring it back to what you said, is it calls into question Eleanor's whole story. If you have just beaten and strangled somebody to death and stomped, I hate to be graphic, but like stomped on their head. When you pull up to your husband, he's not looking dazed. He would have to have scratches somewhere. And he would have to look a little beraggled, especially after you were just assuming that he was going to hurt his wife. 
he, he had to be saying he's going to murder her. That's what that. And, and the thing is, different reports, because they can't be officially confirmed, said that after the show that um, uh, Eleanor said, man, I wish his, uh, I wish I wish his wife was dead um, in the airport. Ralph saying something like, oh, I, I wish I could kill her. Like weird offhand comments that they made, but nobody can say for sure if they were made because it was just in passing by with some 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 other guests on the show. Yeah, I could imagine he is saying those words were though. So what Eleanor says is, okay, so where we just left in the story is that she pulls up on her husband, quote unquote, looking days, they take off. But uh, and it's from a murder scene. But what Eleanor says is that they took off and fled the scene because they assume she assumes that Ralph didn't do anything, but Nancy had spotted him. And since Nancy had spotted him and they had a restraining order out on him and he was from Germany, she was going to call the police and have him deported. So that's why they fled uh, the state. But wouldn't you know, he have blood on him? I mean, what you described she said pretty that graphic. She, exactly. There were bloody uh, boot prints. Uh, there's DNA under Nancy's finger fingernails, but Eleanor says that she didn't see any blood on him. Okay, Nancy. I don't <laughs> believe it. I, I, I don't believe it either. So basically, a police, when they find Nancy, I guess... At first, they're not suspects. They just want to question Eleanor and um, Ralph. But then once they find out that, oh, these bitches done left, then they are like, oh, these motherfuckers might be the suspects. So then they put the they put the, uh, you know, the the ears to the ground, try to figure out where they might go. APB. Um, yes. All points bulletin. Just found out 2021 what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they're not technically, like, I know cops don't always like to say suspect at first. I can imagine they're persons of interest. Like There you go. That's were, a good word. They were at the house that they have a restraining order on. And mm-hmm. they, they, I mean, they could say they're not suspects yet, but, you know, they're a suspect. And you think about it, it's the nephew who called the police. Damn. They're thinking that they're trying to flee to Canada so that, number one, uh, Ralph can go to a German embassy. And they're thinking, uh, number two, because Eleanor is Indian, she might try to set up at a reservation. They started looking at Maine because Eleanor had family there and it was close to the Canadian border and so and so and so and so so. So eventually, four days later, they do come back to Sarasota and they do surrender. But here's where the interesting part comes in. They charge, they basically arrest Ralph uh, under the guise of first degree murder, but they they uh, detain Eleanor as a material witness. Okay, I could see like they wouldn't have enough to charge her right there. Nah, that bitch needed to be charged. I, I, I just don't think they would have enough to charge her though. Yeah, they stated basically because they knew that Eleanor was with him with such a short amount of time or and or around the time that Nancy was killed, that she would be the best person to give the sequence of events. Yeah. So to fast forward all this stuff, the trial comes and goes. It's found out that Ralph was, you know, bouncing between 
Nancy and Eleanor repeatedly. He would spend some nights with one, go ahead and spend some nights with the other, you know, telling everybody what they wanted to hear, whereas he wins on both sides. Eleanor, she basically still counts her version of events of basically them saying it was unfair that they uh, got restraining orders against them and had to give up possession of the house and that Ralph was so devastated when he heard that he even tried to commit suicide by jumping in front of a car, but the car swerved and, you know, trying to, you know, paint themselves as the downtrodden couple that were lied to against because um, what I failed to mention is one of the reasons why Nancy got the restraining order against Ralph is because she said that, He's been threatening to kill me and my whole family. In fact, just the other day, he was chasing me around with a knife. That's what made the judge grant her the order. Okay. But that's allegedly because, you know, of course, Eleanor and Ralph don't claim to it. And um, unfortunately, Nancy's now dead. I mean, but still, a judge thought it was credible enough to grant that restraining order. And you see what happened literally what I guess 24 not even 24 hours later after the judge grants it literally hours later on the same day that their episode airs oh i didn't even connect that it was the same day same day basically the court thing happened they're in there drinking their sorrows licking their wounds and their episode is airing damn Mm -hmm. so do you think that contributed to the murder i Here's the thing. The couple was volatile and the couple got divorced. Nancy and Ralph got divorced for a reason. But here's the thing. I don't know. I don't I don't want to officially blame. I think the show does does harbor maybe uh, does serve as a catalyst. But in this case of this show, Ralph was the one and Eleanor were the ones who decided to get Nancy in there and humiliate her. Yeah. And then when things didn't turn out their way and Ralph was still playing them against each other, essentially, you know, Eleanor's got fucking blinders on uh, and doesn't realize it apparently, but um, he still takes it upon himself to not walk away and instead drinks himself blackout or whatever you want to believe because i don't believe you were blackout i don't you can't, either you're you're not beating somebody to death and strangling to death strangling them to death and then stomping on them blackout drunk i don't see i've seen many of people blackout drunk even my fellow partner <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not thinking that's something that you can do like that so um he decided then he was going to take nancy's life into his own hands and still not claim responsibility for his actions. So, yeah, d- d- was the Jerry Springer doing something wrong? Maybe. Was it any different than their other shows? I don't think so in this case, because I do. I feel like majority of the blame, 90 90 percent of it goes to Eleanor and Ralph because they created the situation. Yeah. I mean, how fucked up is it just to get Nancy on there pretty much just to humiliate her? Mm-hmm. And then you still take her life. Yeah. And I say they because I honestly, there's something fishy about that whole y'all got the clothes, go to 7-Eleven, let's look around and we'll meet up at 7-Eleven. But I see Ralph go- heading to the thing and I'm going to tell Marcus before I stop Ralph. And 
I don't know. Something seems weird about that whole timeline of events that I definitely feel like she was. I feel like if anything, what it was is that, okay, I think Ralph or I know Ralph is going to kill Nancy. Let me waste some time and make sure he has a ride and then not set up Marcus, but in a way set up Marcus to be the one to at least call the police when we're long gone. I but why would he call the police? I mean, I'm glad he did. Like, like, you know, oh yeah, it's barricaded. I can't get in. Something's wrong. Or, or, or he knows that since Eleanor said that he's trying to kill Nancy, that if it was barricaded, he's probably sure that there's a dead body in there anyway. And I guess he didn't want to run because he knew he wasn't guilty. Yeah. It, oh, such a fucked up situation. Ralph is uh, charged with second de- second degree murder. The judge ends up sentencing, sentencing, how do you say it? Sentencing, she sentenced him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And to this day, I mean, honestly, to this day, Eleanor still stands by her man. Like she lives by herself. Apparently she kind of works check to check to not only support herself, but to support Ralph because she does send him money in jail. And, um, you know, every week she's down there at the prison visiting her man. And she still kind of feels like he's innocent and she would love to see his sentence overturned and have him walk out the prison. But that's not happening. And I definitely think that uh, Eleanor is a little bit of a put on because if if you want to know about Eleanor, even if Jerry Springer's production wanted them to act a fool on stage. What you know of Eleanor is what you saw on TV, her trying to humiliate an ex-wife who was getting manipulated by her boyfriend slash ex-husband. And you call her old and fat and nobody wants you. I mean, that tells you all about her right there. I I don't want to chalk it up to Eleanor being like a moron or evil, though, just because I do kind of feel that she is one of those people who are like have such low self-esteem or something that they have to stick with this one person, no matter what, like, you know, they wrap them around their finger, like a cow wearing spandex. Mm, I didn't even think about, and you know, what's so crazy. Well, not even crazy, but what's so uh, coincidental he met. Okay. So before he moved to the States, he was in Germany, but he met Nancy online. And then after talking for so long, uh, he eventually uh, flies down to the United States to live with and marry Nancy. And then when that breaks up, he ends up going back online and he finds Eleanor. And according to Eleanor, her mother was saying that, well, her mother and her sister said that they didn't trust Ralph. But her mother said that like he was too, too handsome. He's only using you for a green card. Uh, he He could have been. He could have been, but I think if anything, what that spoke to is what you said, like her, maybe her insecurity that even her mother was like, well, you can't even pull somebody like that, which no offense. If you look at Ralph, he's a regular old man. I mean, he cool. (laughs) He's a killer. I'm just saying like the whole thing about Eleanor not believing it at first and then her trying to blame everyone else besides him about Mm -hmm. him having an affair. It's. One of those women who have to do everything for their man because they want to lose him. And, you know, it's something inside them that's not right. 
Mm, yeah, not, but not saying it excuses her in any way. No, but you you just I, I get what you're saying though. I'm just putting my psychologist hat on. Take it off. <laughs> <laughs> but I get you, yeah. But um, that's kind of where that story ends. You know, Ralph is still in prison. Uh Eleanor's standing by her man. Um of she didn't get any charges, did she? No, she wasn't charged. She was granted immunity for basically her cooperating with the police and letting them know the version of events that she said. Okay. So. So unfortunate for Nancy. Yeah. Basically Nancy honestly didn't deserve anything that she got. No. I will say you asked me, was this a cattle was the show a catalyst? What do you think? Do you think this would have happened no matter what, or was the Jerry Springer, the 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 thing that brought this out. I think it would have happened no matter where. I think Ralph, you know, if you're a killer, you're a killer type of thing. But I do think the show being released the same day that she was murdered, it definitely put some stress on it. He probably saw the show or heard the show, and he's just thinking like, mm-hmm. that bitch Nancy's going to get it, like, you know, type of thing where he's going to murder her. Mm-hmm. And But the res straining order had to do with it too like it it was a all combination so i don't it's like a powder I, keg yeah i don't want to really put any blame on the jerry springer show at all really because i think it would have happened at all like yeah jerry springer is probably profiting off of it and exploiting those people but at the end of the day i don't find him or the show guilty of anything yeah that's basically kind of what jerry springer said himself you know this was a tragic accident but you know that that's basically not on us. The, these three individuals already actually. Have I changed my mind. But I if my you mind. say that sentence, that shows you that you already know what type of pond you're picking out of. And so, does that mean you should bear a little responsibility? I think so sometimes because you saying that these pish, these pieces these people already had issues. And you wanted to put that on TV and exacerbate it shows your intention. The reason I changed my mind is because I'm sure the Jerry Springer show, like the production team or whoever, like reaches out to those people Mm -hmm. knew that Nancy was going on there thinking she's going to be there to get her man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Producers were well aware of that. Yeah. They definitely are how should be held accountable. I think now, now that Mm -hmm. I think of that little aspect of it. Come on in. All right. So on to the next. So the second, the last, and probably the most known talk show tragic scandal is the Jonathan Schmitz and Scott Amador, I think it's pronounced, a story that happened on the Jenny Jones show. Do you know about that one before I get into it? I think I do. I think I heard of it on My Favorite Murder, but mm. I don't like, I don't know it too well. Well, ready to hear it again less eloquently? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. So, uh, March 6, 1995, Jenny Jones uh, is taping an episode titled Same Sex Secret Crushes. And you said what year was this? 1995 i was only a year and a couple months okay i think the year just a little foreshadowing has a lot to do with it too just because it was a different time 
I mean, here's the thing. When you got to call a show same sex secret crushes. Yeah. You know what you're doing. You know what you want. You want the mess. You do. I mean, before I get into it, think about this. Something that was very a series that was really popular, but very highly criticized as time went by because it was offensive was Maury's he or she episodes. Do you remember those? I okay. As soon as you said that, for some reason that popped in my mind before you like were going yes. to say it. I'm like, she's about to mention this. And I gotta admit, when I was a kid, I used to love those. Okay, so here's the thing. That's I that's I think that's when my love of drag queens started. I, I I'm not even trying to be offensive because uh, what happened was a lot of the ones that turned out to be men, some were um performers, some just cross dressed and stuff like that. But yeah, you're right. Even as a child, I used to be really into it to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm tired of getting this shit wrong. I'm writing it down. Yeah, I um, think with those, with that one, you couldn't even really tell. Like, you were just guessing, honestly. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. But as time goes by and you kind of see how the world's evolving and how people are being treated, you kind of got to do away with things that probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's the, that was just an example of, uh, you know, something that used to be really popular uh, for ratings, but uh, ultimately had to be kind of reworked or um, removed due to social issues. Yeah. So uh, March 6, 1995, the Jenny Jones show was being taped. Same sex secret crushes. And Scott Amador is a big fan of Jenny Jones and hearing what this show was going to be called and what it was about. He called in to be considered goes up there with his friend, Donna. And what he's trying to do is he's going to confess his crush on his neighbor, uh, Jonathan. So um, apparently he met Jonathan uh, with Donna when he, uh, when Jonathan was working on Donna's car. Um, getting into it, I'm going to tell you right now, it's because I know, I think what happened is you view it all in a different light when you know what happens. So watching the clip, which I got from video disorder on YouTube, it gives you some background on the case later too. But if you just want to see the, the whole segment, it is on YouTube and it's, it's very awkward. I would say you gotta get, you got you, like you said, it's 1995, the audience is torn between like the ooh and the kind of uncomfortable, like they might know that this might not be all the way well received, uh-huh. especially when Jenny starts launching, launching into her questions. But then she's like, uh, do you have any fantasies about him? Uh, what are what, what fantasies you think of kind of Scott? kind of goes into um one kind of involving you know the break line some oil blah 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 and he kind of rushes over it that kind of thing and then she's like oh okay what else do you got Uh, I heard you had another one involving a a hammock and stuff and it kind of seems like he's a little hesitant to go into it more but he he does yeah hammock involving you know whipped cream strawberries you know champagne that type of thing or whatever and he's saying this right in front of the other man right if I remember no 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 He's saying this on the stage with Donna in front of Jenny Jones in the audience. Okay. But you're on the right track. <laughs> so she's like, oh, okay. You know. um, does he know that you're gay? Uh, Scott's like, yes. Uh, do you think he's gay? Scott's so anything's possible. And so that's where, that's that's all we know as the audience, right? 
Yeah. And so then Jenny is like, well, okay, uh, Jonathan's backstage. He can't hear anything, but let's come, let's bring him out so you could tell him. This clip is where it just ascends into the worst awkwardness ever. So Jonathan comes onto the stage. He passes Donna, hugs her, gives her a little kiss on the cheek. And then, you know, Scott tries to pull him to this hug. It's the worst hug ever. You see Scott, he's going for it, but even he looks hesitant, whether he kind of regretted midway or he was told he should go for the hug. I do not know. But Jonathan barely touches this man before he, you know, disengages is out the hug so he can sit down. Okay. So Jenny Jones doesn't even give Scott a chance to say anything. She starts with the question, do you think Donna has a crush on you? Jonathan says, no, we're good friends. That's the last word he says is, and he's trying to keep talking, mind you. He says, no, we're good friends. Jenny Jones says, well, guess what? It's Scott that has the crush on you. And then immediately after that, Jonathan turns to Scott and says, you lied to me with a smile on his face. Yeah, it is so cringe and awkward. And he just, you know, he does one of those, you know, when you're clapping your hands, but he put his head down so you can't really see his face. And it's like, and then Jenny decides this is the perfect time to say. And then Scott was telling us about a few fantasies he's had of you and literally replays the not even three minute old videotape of Scott sitting on that stage saying what he said. And it's just very embarrassing. I mean, Jonathan puts his hands on his head, like hides his face for a minute. It looks like he's uncomfortable. Yeah. But it looks like he's not trying to be rude about it. But he definitely looks uncomfortable. And it seems very rushed and very ambush-like for the way Jenny just launched into that. And that was the whole point. Exactly. Then Jenny asks Jonathan, what do you think about it? What, sh- wh- what are you? And he replies, apparently, like, he's um, he's completely or definitely heterosexual. Uh, he told me that I was a nice looking guy and stuff like that. But, you know, n- nothing's going to happen, essentially. And it ends. Now, okay. a little a little background information uh, before I go into what happens next is that um, apparently. Jonathan. uh he was just told this was a secret crush episode. None of the guests who were on the episode knew it was called same sex secret crushes. Yeah. So he's thinking it's just a regular secret crush. And he asks like, who's his crush producers are doing that coy shit. Like could be a boy, not a boy, not me being elementary. (laughs) It, It could be a man or a woman. And to which John says, I'm not, I, I'm not interested in a man. He's got to be a woman. And he's harping on that to which apparently then the producers apply. Well, we've already talked to the woman. It, it, it's a woman. We can't say much, but yeah, it's a woman type of situation. And then Jonathan launches it into his own brain that this could either be an ex-girlfriend uh, saying this to which he would like to get back together with her. Or he's thinking this is a work friend that he is mutually interested in. And she's coming on the show to say that she's interested in him. That's what I guess Jonathan is thinking was going on in his brain. So that's why he was shocked and surprised when it was uh, Scott. But I'm also thinking at one point in time uh, before he got loose and false confirmation from the producers that he was paranoid. And since he was in 
he was taking the trip with Scott and Donna that he asked Scott at some point, Do, is it you? And Scott must have said no. Oof. Apparently, another version of events is that he could have asked Scott if it was him. And Scott replied, well, what would you do if it was me? To which Jonathan replied, well, you know, I'm still going to go for it. Meaning that if it's what he thinks it is, either the work friend or the old girlfriend, it'd be worth it. But once again, we don't know if that story is true. Okay. So. Is this coming from who? Who are these stories coming from? Jonathan and his defense attorney are saying that he was under the impression that his crush was a woman. It's the production team saying that, no, he was aware that it could have been a man or a woman. And it's Jenny Jones saying that he talked to Scott earlier and asked. So he was under the assumption that it could be a man, basically. Okay. So it's the production team. They're the ones hammering in that it was uh, it was basically a known possibility that it could have been Scott. And Jonathan knew that, but Jonathan and his defense are saying, no, production told me different. And uh, um, his defense attorney points out that in the production notes, it does say that he does not want to be with a a man. So he does. I mean, his defense has him there. It's literally in the production notes. If you watch that clip I'm talking about uh, on video disorders page. Three days later, after the taping of the episode, they're back in their home state. And Jonathan has just got back from the bar drinking with some friends. Crazy what these stories have in common. Yeah. Apparently, Jonathan finds a note on his doorstep from Scott. Uh, It's a sexually suggestive note inferring that if Jonathan is curious, Scott's ready and waiting. He's trying to shoot a shot. Uh, yes. So then in in response to reading that note, what Jonathan does first is goes to the bank, takes out money, then goes to a gun store, purchases a shotgun, and then confronts Scott and knocks on his door. Oh, okay. So um, he arrives at Scott's uh, place, kind of asks him what the, the note's about, and they, they talk for a little bit. And then he sees the shotgun, so Scott tries to shut the door. Uh, as he's trying to shut the door, Jonathan shoves the gun in the door jam so the door can't be shut. That's when Scott runs down through the house. And essentially, Jonathan, unfortunately, chases him down, shoots him once, then shoots him again. Yeah. Immediately after he does that, um, he goes back to his and he calls 911 and confesses to the murder and says uh, he killed Scott. Basically, he got embarrassed on this show and he just he just felt like that was basically the the, the trigger. So I do think this one has more accountability. I mean, that was the whole point of it was to kind of humiliate him like. It was 1995, and I feel like a lot of straight guys do think if they're associated with a gay guy, like, for some reason, they'll be the author of his gay as well. Mm-hmm. Even if it isn't true about them, that it's just about the accusation being out there because it was just such... People were just so, so like, into their toxic masculinity, I guess, but it wasn't called that then. Yeah, I mean... It, it he, was all about the image. 
Yeah, he definitely has that image and his masculinity is so fragile that it was a trigger. Yeah, I, and I believe, I, I agree with you too. Definitely this was a catalyst, Jenny Jones's show. Whereas the Jerry Springer, okay, both Jenny Jones and Jerry Springer kind of went parallel ways. They both uh, started off as semi-serious regular tv shows that devolved into exploitative nature shows about baby mama drama makeovers and all that other shit but where jerry springer and jenny jones are different in these two scandals is that jerry springer's guests ralph and eleanor even though it was hateful they they brought that to their doorstep they knew what they were doing whereas and I, this is not me trying to excuse Jonathan for killing Scott. No, no, no. Hell no. I mean, yeah, but I definitely think that the way Jenny Jones and their production went about it, it was it was very shady and it probably would have blown. It probably would have blown over. But, you know, Jonathan decided to kill Scott. If Jonathan doesn't kill Scott, this is a regular Jenny Jones episode, but it's the the trigger and apparently what Jonathan's defense team argues that he was not only um, triggered by the episode and being humiliated uh, publicly on TV, he was also battling Graves disease and he was manic depressive and had already had past a suicide attempt so his his emotional stability was fragile and um his defense is basically yes he killed he killed scott and it was wrong but he had diminished uh diminished cap- uh, capacity diminished ca- capacity because he was drinking and his emotional state with his depression and the Graves disease and all that is basically they're saying it was a big melting pot of that situation turned into him deciding to shoot and kill Scott. I don't remember. Was he imprisoned? So, yes. What ends up happening is that Scott is uh, guilty of second degree murder. He gets sentenced 20 to 25 years of prison time. In the meantime, that ends up being overturned, I guess, on a technicality. But on the retrial, he gets sentenced right back to it. He gets, it, it, it didn't matter. They found him guilty again. After that, uh, Scott's family decide to sue Jenny Jones and the whole show and all that for like 50 million wrongful death uh, lawsuit. And they actually get awarded by a jury 25 million. Uh, because, but hold on. Because the jury thought that, you know, Jenny Jones was a little negligent in how they handled it, which I agree. But unfortunately, uh, they appealed that and it got um, it got overturned. So then they didn't get the settlement. And then the Michigan Supreme Court upheld the appeal. So then, you know, that 25 million just never happened, even though I feel like they definitely deserve that. I don't care what anybody says. I definitely think that even though Jonathan pulled the trigger and Jonathan is responsible for his actions, I don't think that happens without Jenny Jones's show. Yeah, it was definitely a huge thing of homophobia with Jonathan. But if Scott would have just had, you know, came on to him, left a note on his door, I feel like it would have been blown over. But since it was on national TV as well, that he liked him and John. But Jonathan knew this, it kind of like 
it was like, it it cost it. Like you you're all you already taped a show about this that you know was gonna air. You leaving notes on my door. I'm thinking if I'm a paranoid, manic depressive, possibly homophobic man, I'm going to be paranoid out my mind that everybody's going to think I'm gay and I got to put a stop to this, which is, like I said, not excuse, but I'm just thinking that's the headspace he was in. He obviously has something uh, against, not against gay people, because the thing is, he was, he was apparently friends with Scott, but apparently when it came to him being the object of his affection is when it just became too much for him. That's the whole thing. I think he was humiliated on national TV. Jonathan, I mean, deserved to go to prison. Uh, Definitely. Yes. Because the way he did that was wrong. And Jenny I did, Jones does too. We'll get to uh, Jenny Jones was something else, bro. Okay. So I watched, I watched this Dayline interview from 1999 with Jenny Jones and the trial was put to bed in 1997 and she hadn't spoke about it on the advice of her lawyers for so long but then she decides to come out with the Dateline interview talking about it in uh also coinciding with the release of her book you know how people are not bitches to do anything for ratings I don't even oh, really know her a hundred percent or let me tell you some of the things that she she was basically saying which is that she doesn't think that the show was the cause of any of this and that she would do the show again. Like she wouldn't change a thing and it's an unfortunate situation, but she's not in charge of that, that they, in fact, one of the things is that um, that interviewer said something like, uh, why can't you acknowledge the possibility that Jonathan Schmidt's uh, experience humiliation here on your show, whether you meant to set it up like that way or not. And Jenny says that didn't happen. She says that she was here. That didn't happen. And she basically places the blame back on Jonathan saying that he's the one who did it and that they were okay. That They flew home together. And then before they even flew home, they were at the hotel bar drinking and uh, Jonathan had suggested uh, a three-way sexual encounter uh, and stuff like that as her reasoning for that not being humiliation on his face uh, during that segment and him being okay with the whole did situation. Jonathan suggested three-way on live TV, on the TV show? No, no, no. This is what Donna said during her testimony oh. after Jonathan had killed Scott. Okay. But, hmm. you know, of course that didn't happen. Uh, and to be fair, no, if you, you don't even know if it for real happened or if it, it's confirmed or not, you know? Because that, that's just Donna saying that and that's just Jenny parroting it because it fits her narrative as her not taking any blame. Shouldn't that be like hearsay? Like, why is that allowed? I don't know. You got to ask the judge. I ain't sustained over. I, I, I don't know. It just, <laughs> it just seems weird to me. Like, I, I don't know that much about the law, but like she's saying this thing that she heard from so-and-so. And well, you fought the law it. and the law won. I, I don't. It, but it, yeah, that's why I'm if saying, you watch that video, you can tell if you watch the Jenny interview, you could tell she's just trying to grasp for straws that fit her not be taking the blame. They flew home together. You know, they weren't even on the same flight. You know, they got they they, they had drinks. They were riding together. They were fine. Is she like, still alive? Oh, yeah, she's alive. She ain't dead. 
Fuck Jenny Jones. All my homies hate Jenny Jones. I, and is he released by now, Jonathan? That's what I was just coming up to. So um, he was sentenced to 20 to 25 years. He was not sentenced to life. And so uh, Jonathan was released August 2017. And, of course, Scott's family was not very happy about that. But um, he's kept a low profile since then. Jonathan ain't gave no interviews or anything like that. He's back living with his his friends and his family. Damn. Yeah, so, um, and what I thought was very uh, interesting is that during that Dateline interview, the uh, interviewer, like, shows pieces of Jenny Jones's testimony, where they're asking questions about what happened on that show, and, like, what what's, how does the segment go down on that show, or what did you do, or what did you talk about? And it was just like this whole like not admitting not admitting to anything guilty because Jenny Jones just kept saying, "Well, I don't I don't know what you're talking about or I don't know or I can't remember. It was two years ago. Like it's a segment about same sex secret crushes. You don't remember how you do your segments, uh, things that you're still doing to this day because the Jenny Jones show didn't go off till 2003. One of the un- like unintentionally funniest things is like uh. Jonathan's uh, attorney was questioning one of the producers about the whole crush man or woman thing. And she was like, uh, he was like, so um, did you lie when you you, you told um, Jonathan that his crush was going to be like a woman? And she said, no, I told him it could be a man or a woman. And then the lawyer says, was this crush a woman? No. So were you lying when you said that his crush could be a man or a woman? And she was like, sure. <laughs> what do you mean, of course? I, I think she just got tangled up right there. It was, a, it was such a stupid tanglement because, like, why don't you just say you, you technically lied? You, semantics. But anyway. Uh, you yeah, didn't mention that, it, but his attorney, did he use the gay panic defense? No, he, he just said that... It, he committed basically a murder under under diminished cap- capacity, meaning that he didn't, he wasn't in control, basically, because due to of all the stuff that he was dealing with, his emotional state, uh, the the illness he was bat- he was battling, and the fact that he had been drinking as well. Mm. well that's basically where that story ends. Uh, Jonathan was free after 22 years served, August 2017. The Scott's family, unfortunately, mourns, you know, his his death and the way he died and unfortunately don't have very much to show for it. And Jenny Jones just got to keep going for about like what, almost six seven more years after that tragic accident and she this she is her legacy now though i feel like like 100 percent. i used to like jenny jones until i heard about this story i never really watched it i just always heard about this story do you think it's right that he's free now i mean he served time but do you think it's enough time i mean he murdered someone <sighs> i don't i don't think he should be out i i i'm kind of in the sense of if you murder someone that is a life thing, like you should be gone for life unless there's special circumstances. And I don't think 
you being quote unquote humiliated on TV or homophobic or whatever is a good enough excuse. I think he should have been for life. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. It's just weird with the way they just sentence these things and all the degrees and all that. So it's just like, what the hell? But yeah, definitely I feel like he should have been in there longer, especially with the Scott, the, the Amador family just not not only having lost Scott, but then they get their they get their civil case up, overturned. And it's just like they fought hard for justice and they only got it for two decades yeah and i mean he's out now he gets to live a life mm-hmm. and who, i hope who, he who regrets his, his actions own, of course but you you never know what somebody's state is yeah but yeah that's the that's the end of our um that was a good one crazy... that, was, that was a good episode i liked it really yeah um I kind of wish that you would have told me ahead of time. So then we could have both did a story, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a good topic. I didn't even think about this one. Good job. Thank you. It's because I've been stressed. I didn't want to do somebody's biography. I really, I felt like these were heavier. I mean, two murders. I think the research was a little bit easier than it's been past uh, times. I could have went deeper, but Oh, and I did write them down. Let me let me be a professional lady and quote my sources, which is Washington Post, ABC News, Tampa Bay Times, uh, and the Herald Tribune. Uh, job, yeah. Look how far you've come. You know me. Every ten years, I <laughs> emerge from my cocoon a little bit more. I love it. Well, we do like to end every episode on a positive note sharing some form of media we relate to we want to talk about we want to recommend do you want to go first (laughs) i'll go first um so adele just put out a single uh for her new album i think it's called easy on me easy on you i think it's easy easy on me it's easy it's easy on me like sunday morning (laughs) um that has to grow on me. So and for my media, I decided to, t- to choose a different single. The one that introduced me, of course, which is Chasing Pavements. Uh, and the thing is, uh, that's timeless. You can listen to Chasing Pavements right now. And it's fantastic. Um, I remember exactly where I was, what house I was living in. Um, I was watching it on VH1 because before. I, you know, MTV was cool, TRL and all that. But when I started to really get into music, I started watching VH1 music videos and Countdown Moors, Moors, <laughs> more. And they used to do that little like, what do they used to call it? Like artists you want to know or spotlight artists or whatever. And I remember for a fact, Adele was one of them. And uh, Chase and Pavements came on. I was like, who is this big girl? <laughs> she's not big anymore maybe that's why i don't like the new single i'm just joking. <laughs> she lost it she's a man she when she unclogged her arteries man she took the voice with her <laughs> but no, i get I, what you're saying the her voice is still great but it is i feel like it might be a grower yeah it's not it's not a bad song at all i think it's just you know Either people are going to really like it at first or they're not going to like it at all or it'll grow on them. And I'm sure it'll grow on me because I really do like Adele. But it just wasn't like 
I loved Hello when it came out. I loved uh, Rolling in the Deep, Chase the Pack. As soon as the first singles came out, I always loved them immediately. I didn't feel that way on this one. But I just wanted to bring up one because I loved the album 19, you know, Chasing Pavements and then Hometown Glory right after that as singles. Oh, great. Fantastic. I think I have to be in the right mood for Adele. Like I like Adele sometimes, but I have to be in the right mood to hear her. Yeah, I agree. And especially sometimes the song. I'll tell you one, and it's not even her original song, but uh, everybody kind of knocked me out on it. I can't listen to it anymore. And it's the Make You Feel My Love. I think that's like my second favorite one of hers. I used to love it so much, but I think I ran it, ran it out. I'm looking at her songs right now. I think that's my second favorite one of hers because I can't think of any other songs that... And then this one even on the album, but you remember my Skyfall phase. That's oh. my favorite one. Oh, bro, that was great. <laughs> yeah, I. And hello's okay, and someone like you. I don't really. I'm not a huge Adele fan. Is that all for your media? Yes, go ahead, sir. I'm actually surprised that's the first time you bring up Adele because you used to be like a huge Adele stan. I don't think as much anymore, but. No, I and they, I think I go through stand phases. I mean, there's people who last, of course, Adele in the background, but you know, there were people who were, I was like, it was Alicia Keys. Then oh, was, yeah. Then it was a uh, Beyonce. Then it was Adele. And then it's like, you know, I still like them all, but I was in real intense phases with them. <laughs> who, is, who are you standing right now? Um, oh, oh, damn. I can't, I can't pronounce her name, so I'm not going to say her. Until next week, because I don't want to sound <laughs> stupid. But she's a she's a UK artist and she's black and she's she's beautiful. Love it. Okay, was that all for your media? I have concluded. So if you have if you've listened to this podcast before, you might notice my voice is a little weird because I'm a little congested. Um that's what we're calling it now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not COVID or anything. I took a test. But last year I had to quarantine for, like I was in, what is it called? In close contact with someone who was positive. Mm. So I had to quarantine and it was right after my birthday. So I just thought like, what if I have to quarantine again right after my birthday? And so <laughs> I was thinking about like all the stuff that I did in my quarantine waiting for my test results to come back because back then it was like taking forever for the test results. And yeah, I, it was negative. Yeah. So those that 15 minutes was the longest 15 minutes of my life this time waiting for the test to come back. I'm like, please not COVID, but it wasn't, you know, I'm vaccinated and everything. But one of the things I really did while I was quarantined was like listen to albums I've been meaning to listen to and watch TV shows I've been wanting to watch. Mm-hmm. And one of those albums that came out in 2020 was The Ungodly Hour by Chloe <laughs> X Halley. I'm not too sure how to you pronounce say that. Chloe I, X, it's Chloe and Halley. Okay, but there's an X, so I'm never sure how to pronounce it. I think they just did that for the style. I, I do too, but it, it, it trips me up every time. Um, So, like everyone else, I discovered them when they were viral for singing like Beyonce songs on YouTube. Love on top. But I always like to think I discovered them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I always like had them in my like radar, like, look at them go. Good for you. And now I really feel like they're grown. And Undoubtedly Hour was such an amazing album. It has Forgive Me, Do It, 
ungodly hour. Don't make it harder on me, which I just started listening to again this week, which I finally got into it. Um, but one of my favorite songs on them is actually not on that album. Uh-huh. And it's called Cool People. Uh. And it's such a great song. I I think really that was the best album of 2020 for me. I remember you telling me that. And I you were like, you gotta listen to it. And I was like, definitely. And you I never will. did. I will though. <laughs> it's on my list. You know, it takes me a minute. They are like doing their solo stuff now, and it's did just you like a- Lord Have Mercy? I did. I like Have Mercy. Um, and I was watching their performances, mm-hmm. like their live ones. Killing it. And they are, um, Chloe's amazing by herself, but there's just something about the two of them together that it, it's just perfect. Like they have kind of different styles, but the same, but their voices are different. They're just really complimentary. And they just know that they're not, like, it's not a regular group mentality. They're like real sisters and real friends. So it's all about the harmony, the performance, and the songs. It's not about upstaging, and it's not all about, um, it's just about the performance. I think that's why I really love about them. A lot of groups or duos, you always see like one is the better one, or one is trying to outshine the other one. And with them, it is truly, they both can shine. Mm -hmm. I mean, look what's happening over at Little Mix Station. I don't know them. Oh, oh. <laughs> I know them. <laughs> I was like, bro, did we not do <laughs> We just had a conversation about this. <laughs> Off mic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So that's my media. Ungodly Hour. Best album of 2020. You say, okay, so just one quick thing. You saying cool people. Uh, you know what that reminded me of? Our our uh, our stupid little poem. It's not a stupid little poem, but we stupidly. Gwendolyn Brooks. You're calling to, her poem stupid. No, we just used to stupidly quote it whenever. <laughs> but it was like I'm, a great poem. I know it to this day. My new media is Gwendolyn Brooks. Re real cool. <laughs> and <laughs> I actually have a necklace that has a little book in it, and it has that poem in it, like written in there. Honestly, yeah. You you read that? You was done. Yeah, that's one of my favorite poems. We jazz June, we die soon. Like, how dare you say that's a stupid poem? No, it wasn't a stupid poem. What I meant is that we would just quote it to anything that was said if we (laughs) we found it funny. But I do, I do love that. That even it sounds stupid to say it's the one poem I have memorized because it's so short. It is one of those. It's all about the memory and what it means to you. That is probably in my top five poems because i'm was that junior or senior year i want to say i know i've known that poem since like eighth grade seventh grade but i don't know when we learned it together teach me black history teacher (laughs) well another good poem is (laughs) by langston hughes oh my god of course the hughes brothers but i don't want to give away too much of my poetry medias this time so we do have to end it robert frost (laughs) (sighs) let me just name other people the first Um, poem i actually dickens the first poem i had to memorize was annabelle lee by edgar Allan poe and i still can on a good day recite it 
could recite the Raven. Can um, you? Yes. Raven. I, I really thought you could. I was about to be impressed. <laughs> I don't know why the fuck you thought that was good. <laughs> I don't know. I feel you like more poetry than me. We have to end oh, this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Were you about to say something before I, I end this? I was, but now you, you shut me off and I scared. Okay. <laughs> so that was it for this episode. And I, I think it was a great episode. If you don't agree, well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, hey, audience, did you hear how you just talked shit about y'all? <laughs> Go crazy. find a different podcast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but if you did like it, you want to reach out to us, send us an email at saveyoursorry at gmail.com. If you want to Go on our Instagram, that's Save Your Sorry. If you want to send us a dollar or two, that's Cash App, Save Your Sorry. So dollar sign, Save Your Sorry. Our Twitter is Save Your Sorry, but the your is spelled you are. And please rate, subscribe, tell someone, leave us five stars anywhere you can. And that's Man. all. And sometimes I do, what is it called? Like, I can't think of who to do next. So if you want to give us a suggestion of, someone or a topic to discuss email us Millie reach Millie. out to twitter slide into those dms whatever you want to do slippery slide <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> it's been wonderful goodbye <laughs>